Welcome to The Porch, an online community of believers committed to restoring the priesthood of the believer and regaining the world-shaking influence of the early church. The church age is still in effect. The day of Pentecost is ongoing. The fire of the upper room still burns. This is where we get back to basics, the red-letter basics, by examining the Word of God and the example of the Book of Acts Church to discover how the early church served the Lord. In doing so, we discovered the church the Lord intended and not the one that man created. The Porch on the Air since March of 2010 can only be heard on Firefall Talk Radio, which is a part of the Firefall Media Group. We're glad you're with us. To reach us click the contact button on the Firefall Talk Radio homepage at firefalltalkradio.com. If you want to support what we do there are ways to do that starting with the PayPal link at the bottom of the homepage. You can also use the Venmo app, which is easier to use and has fewer fees, where we can be found under at Firefall Media Group. One word. Uppercase on FMG. Thank you to each and every one of you who support what we do. We appreciate your support and encouragement. Give as the Lord leads. And now, to the Bible study with Richard Grund. Psalm 95 verses 1 through 3 says, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and there is none like him. So I praise him. I praise him for my salvation. I praise him for my home, my wife, my family, son, daughter-in-laws, our grandson, our furry kids, and all of our possessions. Salvation was the greatest gift he could give me, but he added all the rest on top of it. He's, he's good that way. I praise him for his provision, his protection over each and every one of us, for the dreams and visions. And my wife pointed out the other day, I'm living out Joel 2.28. Old men shall dream dreams. And um, if I close my eyes, I'm dreaming. And they are prophetic, some of them good, some of them not so good. I praise him for his healing virtues, which are still available to us. I praise him for his favor and divine revelation for being a new creation and living in these prophetic times. I praise him for America, even with everything that's going on. We can still do this freely. We can get together every week. We can pray together. We can speak his name. So let's not miss the obvious that we are blessed. I praise him for the signs that I believe he's giving us, that he's getting ready to return. I can't give you a time or a date but I know that the signs have been there, and I'm watching clearly. But most of all, I say get ready. Be like the Book of Acts Church. Have one eye on the job and one eye on the sky. So let's pray. Let's pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. If you don't know it, Psalm 122, verse 6, make it a part of your life. Pray for America. As good as it is and as blessed as we are, there are problems. We need to pray for the leaders. We need to pray for the citizens. I am praying for justice and righteousness and for all evil to be exposed and dealt with. Our Heavenly Father is a God of righteousness, justice, and truth, and I am asking him to honor that. I pray for the fatherless, the widows, the innocents, the victims of injustice, the slaughter of the innocents in and out of the womb. The missing and exploited children, the victims of sex trafficking, I pray for them each and every day. I intercede for them, for our brothers and sisters around the world being slaughtered and persecuted for their faith. Please don't forget them. I pray against the religious persecution, the anti-Semitism growing in the world, the spirit of the Antichrist feeding it, growing bolder and bolder as it awaits its personal unveiling. I pray for divine wholeness, health, and continued healing as each and every one of us, each and every one of you, get back to our divine design. For you to be what he needs you to be. Begin to believe. Speak to things, not as they are, but as they should be. Speak his word, 
and watch the miracles happen. I'm praying for healing for all who are injured or sick right now, for the Spirit of the living God to touch you in that area, whatever it might be, heart, mind, body, soul, or spirit. Whatever your need is, I pray that he would meet it. I pray for divine protection, that Psalm 91 covering, for inspiration, for the fire of the Holy Spirit to inspire you, for those that are truly of the remnant to wake up, to rise up and answer the call to action. Maybe you know somebody that is one and is not being fed in that regard. Tell them about us. For those who are called to bless, that they would be blessed and be a blessing. If you've been blessed and you know somebody that's been blessed, tell them, tell them. Tell them what the needs are. We need to prosper in accordance with his word that the open conduits of his blessing to fund the dreams, the visions, and the missions that he has assigned to us. And we pray for lost family members because we don't want to leave this world without them and we don't want them to leave this world without Yeshua. Speaking of which, I want to offer prayer for the Fernandez family in Tallahassee on their sudden passing of their uh, Father, husband, grandfather, my friend Robert, who was an integral part of my early walk with the Lord. Um, I know he's in heaven. I know he left this world having his relationship sure and his place in paradise. But he left behind some people that care about him. So please remember them in your prayers. Um, Thursday morning, 1210 of 2020, the morning after last week's session of the porch, Junior in Oklahoma let us know that his mother-in-law passed away from the complications from COVID. So I, we have been praying for them, but I wanted to ask you to pray for Junior, his wife, Nora, that was her mother, and for their entire family. Stacy in Texas has asked for prayer from a teacher at a school whose husband passed away from complications from COVID-19. There's a lot of that going on, and it's a virus that knows no age or discrimination, but there are certain people more uh, susceptible to it, and it endangers more. So we offer prayer for that teacher and her family. Kim in Fort Mitchell wrote, and she said, I praise him that he blessed me with the job that she has, even though she said she's been working a lot. She praises him for her salvation, sobriety, and thankful for her children and the life that she has with them, that she spends with them. She praises him for all that he provides for her family. She's asking for prayer for her mother, who's 78 years old, lives in Germany. They're under a very strict lockdown until mid-January, and she's not handling it well. On top of that, she may have to sell her house that uh, Kim's dad and her paid for their whole life. Said only a miracle can save her from the bank taking the house. It has a lot of sentimental value, and it's irreplaceable to her and her brother. Um, she says, Father, save her soul and save her house. Make a way, Lord. Said, Father, my heart breaks for her. She's asking for prayer for her husband who's traveling home tomorrow for the holidays. He's in the military, in case you don't remember. Please protect him as he travels. Praying for protection over her family as well as the porch families. She's asked for healing in her workplace. She said there's a lot of jealousy and backstabbing, a lot of hurt people that hurt people. Seems to be the way these days. She's asking for you to heal them, Lord. And she's asking for you to help her to forgive people. She continues to ask for intercession for the legal matter in Germany to go away and for him to heal our hearts, minds, and spirits, protects us, protect us, and provide for us in Jesus' name. Well, Father, you know all these things. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but I'm abiding by your word. We're offering them up to you right now, and some of you are offering up your prayers privately as I speak and as I pray. Add your prayers to this time. So, But, Father, we want to thank you. We don't want to come into your presence without saying thank you and how much we love you and how much we appreciate you. You are our Abba Father, our Papa God, our Daddy, and we count on you in that regard. We're your children, and we need you. And, Lord, you've done so much for us already that it feels wrong to ask for more, but we, we need more of you. We need more of you in our lives. We need more of your presence. We need more of your healing virtues and your supernatural presence 
Some people out there need that peace that surpasses all understanding right now. As everything going on, they begin to become overwhelmed because they've taken their eyes off of you and put them on their circumstances. So right now, Lord, we ask your Holy Spirit, help them. Guide their eyes upward towards you. We thank you for the cross, the blood that was shed that washed away our sins. We thank you for the empty tomb. You're not just a dead prophet. You're a risen Savior. You are Messiah. We thank you that you are sitting at the right hand of the Father in fullness and power, and you have allowed us to sit with you in the heavenly places. So I pray that we would do that right now. We would tabernacle with you. We thank you for sending back your Holy Spirit to guide us and to teach us and to walk with us and encourage us. Holy Spirit, we need you this night. Open our hearts, our minds, souls, and spirit to hear the word and to receive it and to be blessed by it and to hear what needs to be heard. So we offer it up to you. We pray for divine protection over all the technology, over each and every one of us. And we just praise you and thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. Combination of that information, the matter presented is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. If you want to join with me, please do. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We're still talking about the kingdom, and we've been talking about kingdom war. And the Holman Bible Dictionary tells us that the word kingdom expresses a sphere of influence not necessarily geographical boundaries. Sometimes they're both. They will be soon when he comes back. But God's kingdom was a sphere of influence that he has over his people. Satan's kingdom has a sphere of influence over those that do not know God, who are outside the kingdom of God. And last week we talked about how pride was both Satan's downfall and his greatest weapon against the lost and the church. So we are in the season of Hanukkah. It's almost over, but I wanted to talk about it from a kingdom war perspective. Hanukkah is about many things, but one of them is an example of the Antichrist, who had a demonically inspired, haughty spirit to destroy the children of Israel. He had a hatred that was unexplained except for one thing. It came from Hasatan, the adversary. So as a brief review, if you haven't been with us all the other times I've taught on Hanukkah, Hanukkah is an eight-day festival commemorating the cleansing and rededication of the temple following the victories of Judas Maccabees in 167-165 B.C. It's the only Jewish festival not specified in the Hebrew Bible but it was celebrated by the Lord. We'll get to that. It's also caused the Feast of Dedification, the Festival of Lights. One candle is lit each day until a total of eight are lit. Celebrated on the 25th day of Kislev, which is usually sometime in December. Jesus was in Jerusalem one time that we have recorded in John 10. But for a hundred years after the death of Alexander the Great, there was a struggle as to which powers would govern Palestine. And until the year 223, um, Palestine fell into the hands of the Seleucids, the Syrians, for good. And it was under Antiochus III, who was one of the four generals under um, Alexander the Great. He got split up between four different people. But then Antiochus III, known as Antiochus the Great, He waged two campaigns against Egypt for the possession of Palestine 
finally getting the upper hand and taking it from them in 198 B.C. at his victory at Paneum, so-called because it was close to the sanctuary of the god of Pan, uh, in an area called Beneus, which we've talked about, is not too far from Mount Hermon. The Jews helped Antiochus gain the victory, and according to Josephus, his rule was accepted by the Jews with goodwill. So they cut a deal with him, what they thought was agreeable with him and his successors. But the problem is compromise has consequences. But the kind of evil I'm going to talk to you about tonight, it doesn't happen overnight. It's a gradual thing. It's the drip, drip, drip of poison into water that can't be seen, can't be smelled, and then it's too late when the people finally realize that they've been ingesting it. It's the frog in the pot syndrome, where the water gets slowly turned up over time, and by the time the frog realizes what's going on, it's too late. It's it's the way of the world. It's the way of nations. Israel fell victim to it just as the church has fallen victim to it. But at this point, they have to make a choice. People have to always make a choice. You either take a stand or you compromise. Well, the Jewish leadership sought favor and pleasures more than godliness, so they decided to compromise for the sake of false safety, expedience, and pleasure. And as I share this with you tonight, I want you to hear it and picture that this is happening to the church today as well as to Israel. So here it is, 175 B.C., Antiochus IV, otherwise known as Antiochus Epiphanes, he takes over the throne of the Seleucid Empire, which controlled Judea. Now, the word Epiphanes, which he gave to himself, by the way, means illustrious one. Although the contemporaries of his day called him Epiphanes, meaning madman, because that's what he was. The spirit of the Antichrist that was in him was empowered by the madness of Satan. H.A. Ironside in lectures on Daniel the prophet explains that the reason for his nickname was because of his wild pranks and almost insane follies and brutalities. He was stirred with such hatred against the Jews and their religion that there was no atrocity too great for this wretched king to perpetuate. Antiochus and his self-deifying fanatical haughtiness, Weisler says, and his enmity against God and divine worship is very proper the type of Antichrist. It is the proper prototypical Antichrist. We've seen in others. We've seen it in Nero. We've seen it in Hitler. We see it here in this madman. And he had a specific goal, was to rid the world of the annoying and to him peculiar exclusive, nonconformist religion of the Jewish people. Boy, does that sound very similar to today. And just as the world wants to banish Orthodox Jews and Christians who adhere to the Word of God, it's no different, folks, and it's going to get worse. We've had it easy, but I think that's about to change. Martin Luther says, of all former, te- all former teachers have called and interpreted this Antiochus, a figure of the final Antichrist, and they have hit the right mark. W.A. Criswell, expository sermons on the book of Daniel, speaks of the demon-possessed Antiochus and his foreshadowing of the Antichrist. This is what he says. First, he is inordinately proud and lifted up and ambition. He is Satan's thorough copy. He's Satan through incarnation. He's Satan's willing instrument. For example, when Antiochus came to reign, he imprinted on his coins, Theos Antiochus Theos Epiphanes, Antiochus God Manifest. One need not doubt that such a thing could be, for according to the second chapter of Thessalonians, this final dictator presents himself as God Manifest, Theos Epiphanes, the same spirit 
that is universal in human history. Ambitious, dictatorial men are like that. That is the spirit of Hitler. It is the spirit of any striving dictator who lifts himself above the mountain heap of prostrate humanity. Well, this Epiphanes, he foreshadows the coming Messiah of evil whom we call the Antichrist, who will one day attempt to assimilate all of humanity into his new world order. We see it in Daniel 9, 2 Thessalonians 2, Revelation 13. And at first, he will appear as a world savior. He will broker peace for Israel in the Mideast. But after a while, this archetype of Epiphanes, he will savagely betray the Jewish people and set up a desolating sacrilege in the holy place of the temple as mentioned in Matthew 24. And before anybody says, wait, didn't Trump just negotiate all that peace? He doesn't meet the requirements and the prophetic description of the Antichrist. But I will say this, in brokering the peace he has, he has invited Israel to surround herself and bring her enemies into the camp. Matthew 24, verses 15 through 20, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who was on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. Let him who was in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, and pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. And the reason he says those things, because that's what the Jews did. When Antiochus overran Jerusalem, they fled into the mountains. So the trigger or marker of the great tribulation, because that's what Yeshua is talking about in Matthew 24, is the fulfillment of this prophecy. And his satanic rise will occur during what we call the end of days, the period of the great tribulation. And the final victory of God will be established when Yeshua returns to destroy this Messiah of evil at his second coming. So Antiochus Epiphany wants to outdo his father. He wants to capture Egypt, and he wants to unite the Seleucid and the Ptolemaic kingdom into one superpower, but he has a problem. He needs money. So where does that money come from? Well, a faction of Judean priests offered to pay him to replace the high priest Onias III with his younger brother Jason. So Antiochus took the money. Isn't it interesting Israel was paying for their own destruction, just as the church does today? Look what it says in Second Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5. But understand this, that in the last days, dangerous times of great stress and trouble will come. Difficult days that will be hard to bear. For people will be lovers of self, narcissistic, self-focused, lovers of money impelled by greed boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and profane. And they will be unloving, devoid of natural human affection, calloused and inhumane, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, devoid of self-control, intemperate, immoral, brutal, haters of good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of sensual pleasure, rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of outward godliness or religion, although they have denied its power, for their conduct nullifies their claim of faith. Avoid such people and keep far away from them. Well, who's, Timoth who's Paul talking about when he writes to Timothy? He's talking about the church. This is the warning to the church and about the church. You see, Israel did not do this. And the church has not done it. Instead, they created a dangerous precedent. And the precedent is this. Seduction leads to destruction. So after he does this, three years later, another rich priest, Menelaus, offers even more money and is appointed high priest by Antiochus. Isn't it amazing how people can use money 
and power to buy themselves a position in the church or synagogue. Gee, that's, that's, that just really can't happen, can it? So Jason goes into exile because, folks, there's no honor among thieves. Except Menelaus was not from the line of high priest, and his appointment upset the conservative Judeans. Worse, he didn't really have the money to pay Antiochus, so he took the treasures from the temple to pay him, which was sacrilege. And on all top, on top of all of that, he was a radical Hellenizer. And what does that mean? Well, first of all, his appointment wasn't popular and it was violently enforced. Well, what is a Hellenizer? Well, it's somebody who wants to bring in the spirit of the natural, national character of the Greeks to conform to an imitation of or a devote, devotion to the culture of ancient Greece. Basically, want to replace the things of God with the pagan kingdom of Greece, the kingdom of darkness. Sort of like progressive Christianity today. Become, become more like the world and less like the word. Meanwhile, in Antioch, Antiochus is feeling really full of himself. Kind of like Satan did before he got cast out of heaven. So he decides it's time to make history. And he arrogantly leads his army to Egypt and fails. Oh, he fails miserably. And there were rumors of his death in battle. A civil war erupted amongst the Jews in Jerusalem. Jason appeared from exile, and then the people revolted against Menelaus. But they made a mistake. It's the same mistake we make if we think Satan is powerless and dead. It's to think the enemy is dead or powerless and relax. Oh, Antiochus is not dead. He's enraged. He's been humiliated by the Romans. He's, he's forced out of Egypt. And while he's retreating, he hears of the struggle in Jerusalem. And everything that he had set up with Menelaus. And he's got a target for his rage. He's got a target for his indignation. Kind of like Satan when he gets cast down to earth. And so what he, what he does is he overruns the temple in the city. In 167 B.C., he kills 40,000 people, and he sells 40,000 more into slavery. On top of that, he goes into the temple, and he goes one step further. He offers a sow, a mature female pig, 10 months or older, that's had one litter. And he sacrifices her on the altar, and he pollutes the temple by sprinkling the broth of this dead sacrifice all around. Stories in First Maccabees chapter 4. Well, the pig is declared unclean according to Leviticus 11, 7, 8. The pig has evenly split hooves, does not chew the cud, so it is unclean. Also in Deuteronomy 14, 8. And you may not eat the pig. It has split hooves, does not chew the cud. It is ceremonially unclean for you. You may not eat the meat of these animals or even touch their carcasses. Some scholars think that it was a matter of hygiene. Others think that the unclean animals like this were representative of animals sacrificed to the Canaanite gods. But basically, the temple has been defiled. Its treasures have been robbed, and then it's dedicated to the Greek god, Zeus, who's a representation of Satan, the lord of the sky, the god of the sky, thunder and lightning, kingship, honor and justice. Zeus is the king of the gods, the king of Olympus, and the father of gods and men, who is the prince of the power of the air. Satan. I believe Zeus represents him. So the temple's been defiled. Pig on the altar. Its juice spread all over the sanctuary and the vessels. He goes one step further. See, that's the thing about Satan. That's the thing about the spirit of the Antichrist. It never knows when to stop. It always goes one step further. 
It always goes to that one more step that triggers a response. He substitutes the Jewish feast with the drunken revelry of Bacchanalia, which involves sexual religious rites, orgies, bloodshed, forcing the Jews to worship Bacchus, the god of pleasure, and wine. The licentious festival of Saturnalia, the worship of Saturn, was also enforced upon the inhabitants, and he forbid the reading of the Torah, the Holy Scriptures, and the tradition of circumcision. But that wasn't enough. A bit of a showman. He's got that satanic spirit in him. He kills two mothers who had circumcised their children in defiance of the law by throwing them headlong with their infants off of the highest wall in Jerusalem. He mangled people, he tortured people, he cut out tongues, he roasted anyone alive that would not compromise. Now why am I telling you this? Will it happen to us? I hope not. But here's what I want you to get. The fight against darkness may cost you something, may cost you your time, may cost you things. And when the man of darkness, the son of perdition, appears, he will be enraged just like Antiochus Epiphany was, just like Nero was, just like Hitler was, just like all these men are the foreshadowing of him. They all act like him. Revelation 12, starting verse 10, Then they heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Messiah have come. For the accuser of our brethren who has accused them for our God day and night has been cast down. You hear that, Satan? That's what's coming for you. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows his time is short. There must be a resistance. In Matthew 24, when he talks about the the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, Talks about fleeing to the mountains of Judea. Let them, if you're on the house, stop. Don't go down. Don't get your clothes. Just run. It means you don't have time to think. You don't have time to grab anything that you would think to have with you. If you're not ready, just go. It says, pray that it doesn't happen in the winter or on the Sabbath. But then he goes on. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time nor ever shall be and unless those days were shortened no flesh would be saved but for the elect's sake those days will be shortened that's going to be when he says enough i've seen enough i've heard enough he's going to stand up from the throne the king stands up he's either getting ready to say something or he's going to war And in this case, he's going to war, and then he's going to say something. And he's going to consume them by the power of his mouth, the fire that comes from it, the word that he speaks, the word that he spoke them into existence with. He's going to speak to them and tear them apart. But until that time, there must be a resistance against darkness. James Chapter 4 tells us that, starting verse 7, Humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Now, folks, the devil's not fleeing from you because you're anything or you're all that. Yeah, you got the name of Jesus and you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you. But see what this says. You've humbled yourself before God. You've gotten close to him. God's gotten close to you. Devil's not going there. 
no matter how big or bad he thinks he is, if he sees the creator of the universe, his, his father, the one that created him through the mouth of Yeshua, he's going to move on to the next person who doesn't have that. James goes on and says, Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves both for the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. He will lift you up. But you know, what this shows me, everything about what happened on Hanukkah, everything that was happening in the world, everything that's about to happen, you can't redeem defiled things. They cannot be restored. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? Anyone, If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 16 and 17. Folks, once you've been set apart, once you've been made his, once you have been declared his temple to house his Holy Spirit, there's no going back. There's no going back to those old ways. I'd rather die on my feet than live on my knees in the kingdom of darkness. I'll stand on my feet in the kingdom of God and let the chips fall where they may. So what's going on in Jerusalem with Antiochus' satanic, demonic rage? There's a man there who says enough. Mathathias of Modin and his five sons, one of whom is Judas Maccabeus. They decide they've had enough. In 164 B.C., Modin's a small town about 17 miles from Jerusalem. Mathathias, or Matthiahu in Hebrew, he's a Hasmonean priest. And when the Antioch's soldiers arrived at Modin to erect an altar to Zeus and force the sacrifice of a pig... Matthew and his sons kill them. He also kills the high priest who was going to go along with it. And he sets off a rebellion and they flee into the Judean wilderness where they're joined by other freedom fighters. And after they organize, they become engaged in a successful guerrilla warfare against their Syrian oppressors. I'm not condoning violence. I'm not saying this is what should happen or shall happen. I'm just telling you what they did and how they did it. Matthew dies about a year later, and his son Judah becomes the leader of the resistance. He became known as Judah Maccabee. And some say that it was the acronym of the phrase, Mi Kamocha Ba Elim Adonai, which is who is like you among the gods, Lord. Or else it was der derived from the Hebrew word hammer, makavet, indicating his ferocity in battle. Either one of them is good. I kind of lean to the second one. It's kind of why we named our male Roddy Maccabee. So I'm constantly speaking out that name. I'm constantly reminding the enemy, hey, remember when he did this to you? I'm constantly speaking it out. I don't know if my name, what they think when they hear me. Don't care. So Judah and his band of rebels, they start winning. They start turning the tide. Menelaus summons support from the Greek army in the neighboring Seleucid provinces. So he, Menelaus sets the stage for Antiochus' epiphanies like the false prophet will do for the Antichrist. So once he's back in power, Menelaus leads a reign of terror. And the Greek god Zeus statue, the sacrificing of the pig, the killing of people, declaring Antiochus as God. And the Jews decided they'd rather die from martyrdom than live under that. Now, they were outnumbered. They were outpowered. But the fire of God within them, and I think divine favor, gave them the victory over Menelaus, over Antiochus Epiphanes, 
and they drove him out, and they took back Jerusalem, and they took back the temple. About 164 B.C. Except they have a problem. They fixed the temple up, they cleaned the temple out, but now they cannot dedicate it because there's not enough oil prepared by the high priest except for one day, and they, they need eight days' worth. But they only find one bottle of oil sealed by the high priest. Folks, who's your high priest? Yeshua. What's the oil of the Holy Spirit? You only need one bottle. But this bottle of oil, this one bottle, miraculously lasts eight days. And that's part of the celebration. And I know there will be some that will tell you, oh, that never happened. That's folklore. I believe that it did. That's why I teach it as such. And they celebrated every year, but after the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D., it began to be observed in the houses by lighting lamps. Therefore, it became the Feast of Lights. We celebrate it. To me, Hanukkah is a story about remaining committed to the truth in a godless and insane world. Spiritual warfare is there the fight for sanity and truth in a world that prefers madness and self-deception from Hasatan and the fallen. We're in a world that doesn't want the light. It doesn't want what I'm talking about here tonight. It would rather go along to get along. And I hear it every day, and I'm not going to go down this road. I hear people saying, well... We need to just accept things the way they are and go along. Pursue peace. They leave out the rest. Pursue peace with all men, if possible. Judah Maccabee and his brothers and the, and the rebels said, No, it's not possible. You've pushed us too far. You've done too much. We must stand up for the living God. And I know we have the power of the Holy Spirit. I know we have the ability to speak to things and they'll happen. I know from my life and my ministry and the, what I do for the kingdom what that power is. But I believe that there are things coming on the earth, and they may already be here, that the warfare is going to become a little more intense than that. But the world loves darkness. John three eighteen through 21, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. So for those of us who follow Yeshua, for those of us that are born again, Hanukkah is the bold proclamation that the light of the world has come, despite the fact that people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil, we chose the light. We said we don't want to be in darkness anymore. We don't want to be in the kingdom of darkness. We want to be in the kingdom of the Son of His love. We want to be in the kingdom of light. We want to be in the kingdom of God. That's difficult to do in a fallen world, but it's not impossible. And folks, it's something we must do. First Timothy six twelve. fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So Hanukkah, the lighting of the candles, the speaking of the scriptures, is the ongoing significance 
the, the commemoration of the victory of the few whose desire for freedom to practice the worship of their God and their religion impelled them to fight a battle against great odds. But we don't do it alone. We do it with Yeshua, who was prophesied by Isaiah to bring an end to the rule of darkness. Isaiah 9, verses 1 and 2. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. Listen to me, folks. Some of you are in despair. Some of you seeing the darkness creeping in. Instead of shining the light, you're cursing the darkness. Listen to me. The time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. That got confirmed in Matthew 4, verses 14. Where did they say it was going to happen? In, Gal- in the Galilee of the Gentiles, and the roads between Jordan and the sea will be filled with glory? Matthew 4, verse 12. Now when Yeshua heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region in the shadow of death, light has dawned. But you know, it wasn't enough for the prophecy to be fulfilled. It got to the point Well, Yeshua just had to say it. And it's in John chapter 10, starting at verse 23. Now, it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. Well, of course it would be. December 25th in the Kislev calendar in Israel is winter. And Yeshua walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. And then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt if you are the Messiah? Tell us plainly. Yeshua answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you're not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Of course, that wasn't what they wanted to hear. And they wanted to stone him. And it goes on. But this light I'm talking about. It's a primary light. It's an absolute light. It's like the light at the beginning, let there be light. It's the opposite of all darkness. It represents God. It represents Yeshua, the Messiah. And here we are, you and I, filled with his Holy Spirit, walking in this world, this fallen world, under the God of this world, Hasatan, under the fallen who serve him, under their demonic offspring who work for them. In a world that doesn't want us, doesn't want to hear what we have to say, doesn't want to know about being born again. But I'm going to tell you that there are people out there sitting in darkness. They not only want to, they need to. They're waiting for someone to have the boldness to tell them. They're waiting for someone to kick against the gold. They're waiting for someone like the Maccabees to say, enough is enough. We're not going to go along with you. We're not going to keep quiet. We're going to worship our Lord. We're going to worship our God. And the time may come in the near future here in America where we'll be told, hey, you can't say that anymore. 
and then we're going to find out who's prepared for a fight, who's willing to do it anyway. But Larry and my brother and I were discussing this today. I was telling him what I was teaching on, and we were thinking about all the implications about the violence and how they fought back and how they overcame. And I'm not saying that's what we're going to do, but I am saying I believe there's a time. The Lord told me this in the early 90s. When what happened to Ananias and Sapphira will happen to those who stand against the living God. Well, you'll be able to speak a word. You'll be able to tap somebody on the chest and say it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God and watch their heart stop. I don't think they're going to want to prosecute you because then they have to come into court and say that the power of God and your faith in the name of Yeshua is what it says it is. But I don't know. We'll see. But to get to that point, we need to understand who we are. We need to understand who he is. So during the season of Hanukkah, remembering the miracles, Yeshua was pointing out words He was trying to get the Jews to understand that what he did made him Messiah, not what he said. It was his works that attested his claim to being Messiah. The signs of the Messiah, all of them were fulfilled in him. His works, his character displayed the true light that they were trying to celebrate there in Jerusalem that day. He was the light of the world. And his works still shine through us today. But he was also the suffering servant. The ultimate shamash, the light that lights all the other candles on Hanukkah. He is our light. He enables us to shine a holy fire of sacrificial love to the darkened world, the world under the control of Hasatan and the fallen. That make more sense when he said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven, Matthew five sixteen. He's the light of the world. Whoever follows him shall not have darkness, but have the light of light, John eight twelve. You need to get these scriptures inside of you. You need to get this understanding inside of you. You need to be able to speak it and believe it and know it. That takes effort. That takes prayer. That takes opening your Bible. That takes listening to these Bible studies that I work on, downloading them, highlighting, making notes, coming up with your own revelations that the Lord gives you but is only by the light of Yeshua, only by the oil of the Holy Spirit, only by that fire we can gain victory over the powers of darkness because darkness cannot overcome light. That's kingdom war. Driving back the darkness, dispelling it, diffusing it, defeating it. Psalm fifty-six, thirteen. For you have rescued my soul from death, yes, and my feet from stumbling, so that I may walk before God in the light of light. Psalm eighty-nine, fifteen: Blessed and happy are the people who know the joyful sound of the trumpet's blast. They walk, O Lord, in the light and favor of your countenance. And as I already read Isaiah 9, 2, the people who walk in spiritual darkness will see a great light. Those who live in the dark land, the light will shine on them. If it doesn't shine from you, where is it going to come from? If you're not going to be the beacon, if you're not going to be the torch, if you're not going to be the one who, we are his light to the world, and we must be as he was. In John fourteen thirty, as he was getting ready to be crucified, he said, I will not speak with you much longer for the ruler of this world, Satan, is coming. And he has no claim on me. He has no power over me, nor anything that he can use against me. Satan had no foothold in the life of Yeshua. Satan had no authority over him. 
His yielding to what was about to happen on the cross had nothing to do with Satan or his power. He voluntarily yielded to the death on the cross in obedience to the Father to fulfill the mission. First John 5.19 reminds us, we know for a fact, that we are of God. You, each and every one of you are of God. And the whole world around us lies in the power of the evil one opposing God and his precepts. So the other message about Hanukkah is sometimes obedience isn't easy. But it's always worth it. It may involve pain. For some it involves bloodshed for the kingdom of God, our brothers and sisters around the world. Let me leave you with Ephesians 5, starting with verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments that encourage you to sin. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience, those who who habitually sin. So do not participate or even associate with them in the rebelliousness of sin. For once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Live as those who are native born to the light. For the fruit, the effect, the result of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn by experience what is pleasing to the Lord and letting your lifestyles be example what is most acceptable to him. Your behavior expressing gratitude to God for your salvation. Do not participate in the worthless and unproductive deeds of darkness, but instead expose them by exemplifying personal integrity, moral courage, and godly character. For it is disgraceful even to mention the things which such people practice in secret, but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light of God. For it is light that makes everything visible. Lord, we come to you right now, each, each, every one of us, your sons and your daughters. And we ask right now for you to turn the fire up. Whatever we need in our light for that fire to go up, for us to burn bright, to be beacons in the darkness. And Lord, if there's a darkness coming, and I believe that there is, then it's because you're allowing it so that we can shine, we can arise and shine. Let us understand this. Let us understand your words. Let us understand your nature. Let us understand your spirits, what drove you, what drove the apostles and the disciples and the book of Acts church to do what they did, to shake the world the way they did. So much so that the enemy had to raise up other antichrist to destroy them and stop them. And all they did was set the world on fire for you. We want to set the world on fire. We want to shine the light. We want to be the beacons. We want to be the torches. We want to be the lighthouses that lead our brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and friends and husbands and wives and anyone still wandering out there from to not crash on the rocks to find their way in to follow the light. But we want to be pure. We don't want to be weak. We don't want to be cloudy. We want to be vibrant, illuminous. So touch us, Lord, speak to us, encourage us. Holy Spirit, let your gifts flow, let your fruit grow. Let this season be the season, the season of Hanukkah, that we become what you need us to be in this hour. And I ask all these things in Yeshua's name. And if you agree with me, just say, Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grund. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.